hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. This week is really good for anybody working in corporate who thinks they have something up their sleeve that they'd like to try and they're just not quite game enough to leave. And I'm not suggesting you just jump ship, but today's guest, Sarah Davidson, talks about how she moved out of corporate and into her own business and that is extraordinarily successful and I guess through a series of events, this, this came about. Let me tell you about Sarah. Sarah Davidson began her working life as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer at a leading international law firm. While she enjoyed several years building strong professional foundations, she found it increasingly challenging to reconcile the all-consuming corporate lifestyle with her personal passions for health, well-being, creativity and adventure. In pursuit of balance, Sarah and her partner started Matcha Maiden, closing a gap they discovered in the health food market for matcha green tea powder. Matcha is now one of the world's premier health food trends, and Matcha Maiden is leading the way with a very bright, well, green future ahead. Sarah has now hung up the suits and heels to step into the business full-time. In 2016, the Matcha Mission developed into a physical venue and cutting-edge cafe called Matcha Milk Bar, which is taking the food world by storm. Sarah now splits her time between the two businesses and is thoroughly enjoying life as a full-time entrepreneur. She's also started the podcast Seize the Yay, which investigates the difference between success and happiness, the importance of cultivating joy, and showcases the Danderworth human side of her diverse and esteemed guests. The podcast became a book in 2020, and Sarah continues to grow the neighborhood as far and wide as possible. Sounds fantastic. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. What a delight. It's my absolute pleasure. You got a bit of chaos going on in your house this morning. I feel like there's actually always chaos going on in my house. (laughs) It's like it follows me around. I think I'm a very calm person, but then behind the scenes, it's just madness. So you've got your your husband on the boat to Tassie and everybody's everybody can breathe now. So it's it's so good to have you here. Um, We've been planning this for a couple of months and it's so wonderful to see you face to face again. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. It was just so, so divine to meet you in person. And that was, you know, when I came out to Gippsland, what, how long was it ago now? Yeah, in March, that was pretty much the first time I'd really gone anywhere and met new people. And it was just so special. And I I fell in love with all of you. So it's really, really (laughs) lovely to see you again. (laughs) We didn't get a choice, did Because when when I meet people, I ambush them with a massive, (laughs) massive big hug, you know, and it's... (laughs) 
<laughs> so do I. And it was, I felt like last year, social distancing was obviously quite important. But mm. if your love language is hugging or personal touch, like, you know, yeah, physical. physical touch, it was quite restrictive. I sort of felt like I don't shake hands. Like that's not how I welcome people. What? I felt I felt really rude. Yeah. Or touching elbows. It's kind of like what? Oh yeah. gosh, the elbow touch. I was like, ugh, so tragic. I uh, uh, love it. Well, it was lovely to meet you. So great to meet you in person. And you know, that that was for anyone listening, that was at the International Women's Day in um Warrigal that women in Gippsland put on an absolutely fantastic event. So it was so good. And it was so good to hear your story that you know I I, I did ambush you. Sarah, Sarah, I want you to be on the podcast, you know, because it was <laughs> Such a great story. And, and you know, you're a Gippsland girl. Well, you started that way. Well, you didn't really start that way. You started further abroad, actually. And um, But uh, it was just so good to hear your story. And I, I love, in particular, I love that you're really challenging what is happiness. Do you, you know, and I think a lot of us have this like a, a, an umbrella banner, you know, of what happiness is and we we mm. view it in a certain way. But I think that, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people about what is happiness and I don't think any of us can truly put our finger on, you know, what that thing is. But I love that you're exploring that. There's a lot of things you're doing, actually, but let's start from scratch. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, as I said in the intro, you know, you've moved into the wellness space with with matcha powder and everything. And then you've also sort of challenging, uh, you know, happiness with your podcast and your book. But what got you there? Like, how did you start off life? Did you start off with this little kid going, I'm going to drink matcha powder and I'm going to <laughs> make the world happy or what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Well, part of what has now become the CCA philosophy is the very idea that most of the time you don't wake up knowing what your purpose is and where you're meant to be and what your joy is. And so it's been a very roller coaster, unexpected journey full of twists and turns, very non-linear. Uh, but eventually I think all the dots start to connect. And that's what I love is that, you know, when you do trace back from the very beginning of people's stories, most of the time, None of it is, you know, it's not clear what kind of pathway or where people are going to end up. And that's the beautiful thing to just trust that each chapter is going to lead you to the next thing, yeah. but definitely had no idea that this is going to, <laughs> that this is how it was going to end up for most of that time. So back to the very, very beginning, as you mentioned, uh, my first home in Australia was in Warragul, but I was born in an orphanage in South Korea and adopted uh, by an incredible Australian family when I was five months old. So while it sounds like it could be, you know, for some quite a traumatic experience, I have no memory of, you know, being five months old. Most of us don't uh, and have been, you know, supported so incredibly by our family to, to appreciate what a beautiful story that is and to not sort of feel like, you know, it's been weird or, you know, we've really been encouraged to embrace that unique story. And I think it's left us with two things. First, uh, I've always rather than, you know, spending a lot of our life trying to suppress what makes us different and trying to, you know, fit in and be the same. When you're a fully blown Asian kid and your parents are white Caucasian dairy farmers from Warragul, you know, you've got to get across embracing your difference pretty early. So that, that set me up well for that. But the other thing is because I know how different it could have been. Mm. Korea was a third world country at the time. It was the eighties. There was no education for women a lot of, um, you know, child slave labour and, and a lot of issues facing the country that ne don't necessarily affect it now. But 
you know, that idea of sliding doors moments that but for one small decision or event, everything could have been different, which has meant I've always been really eager to leave no stone unturned. So all through primary school, all through high school, and even into uni, I sort of have, the best way to describe it is that I was equal parts nerd burger and arty farty. So really loved academics. I cried in prep when I didn't get homework on my first day. (laughs) (laughs) But also always loved sport and drama and music. And maybe because I did have such a keen sense of gratitude for living in this beautiful country, it's kind of led to this over-enthusiasm for everything. And I actually think it's so wonderful to be multi-passionate, but when it comes to career choice time, it almost makes it more difficult because you've got too many interests and the pathway isn't necessarily clear or obvious. So I kept going doing everything as long as I could, obviously with a few diversions, a bit of a naughty wild child phase in the teen years there, but then eventually came back around and ended up getting quite a good score at the end of school. I chose law only by a process of elimination, more because I didn't know, I knew I didn't like blood. So that kind of ruled out medicine and the sciences. And I I didn't really feel like a commerce business-minded person back then. So I thought, well, you know, what's left? (laughs) I I was at that time only thought, sort of thought that there were five careers that existed and had to choose one. So um, yeah, I ended up in law thinking it was a sensible thing to do. And I think that's around the time where I stopped listening to what I'm good at and what I love and started to let ideas of success and societal expectations of what a good, stable, respectable life kind of looks like. And looking back, I never was unhappy as a lawyer. Actually, I was so grateful to have a job. I'd come through uni in the GFC, so I was grateful to be getting any kind of opportunities and let alone at a really good firm where I was lucky enough to start. But now it gives me goosebumps to look back and think, if you're actively unhappy, you'll probably change your life because you'll get to the point where it gets so untenable that the discomfort will push you to make a change. If you're fine, I don't think you start looking for what else there is because you don't really know any different. And that's the people that I worry most about. If they don't have an autopilot circuit breaker, you risk sitting in fine for decades of your life and missing out on amazing. Mm. And I was definitely in that camp. I was very blinded by how successful my job seemed. It was fancy. There was prestige. I was climbing a ladder that it turns out I didn't really care about that much, but at the time it felt good. And it was only a very happy accident that allowed me to see a whole nother side of myself and the world and the job opportunities that exist in the gray areas in between. Uh, And that was such a long story, but in, I ended up in all places uh, in Rwanda with my now husband who had a creative agency and he got to go and as a sponsor and I was able to join. And one of the big things coming from an orphanage, you know, I, I thought the big takeaway would be just how incredibly lucky we are in Australia, which is, of course, what I felt. But I also had the reverse revelation of seeing people who didn't have success or progress as I understood it, but had more happiness than the people back home who were stressed about getting more and (laughs) achieving more and playing on their devices. You know, the kids would laugh for 12 hours or at a leaf and I'd never separated happiness and success before. So that kind of planted the seed. And then the second thing I came home with was a gut parasite, which was... (laughs) 
great way to lose pounds for the first five kilos. And then after that, not very nice at all. <laughs> and I was banned from coffee. So the whole matcha journey was a purely selfish exercise of trying to find a healthier form of caffeination that wouldn't send me into a complete breakdown. And that's how it all started. Total random fork in the road that I didn't even know was around the corner. And I think that's why now I'm so passionate about the idea that, you know, you don't need to have a 50-year plan or a five-year plan. Be in the now and be open-minded and you never know what could be coming up next for you. 100%. Just head in the direction you think you should be going and just let it let it unfold as it unfolds. I absolutely love that story. And it's, you know, when you're, you're talking about, you know, being in Rwanda and they're playing with a, a leaf and I... I really think we have lost our, I mean, when I was a kid, we, we got out on bikes, to, you know, and we ran and we played with next door neighbor's dog and we did, we made up games outside, but now, do you know, it's like, and you're, you're much younger than me, you know, you could just about be my daughter, but I'm sure your other mum was much, much better than I would have ever been. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, it's, it's they're all on their PlayStations and, you know, whatever they are now, Xboxes and all their gadgets and everything. And I think to myself, you just don't realise, you don't realise what, what happiness, and they're all so miserable. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, I can't get enough of that and can't get enough. And when you talk about kids playing with a leaf, you know, you, you realise that happiness is not in things. It's in, it's in a space in time and it's, who you're connected with and yeah I, I love that now this matcha you know uh why did you think like like do you, how did you know it would cure a gut bug is this something <laughs> you're known for or, or what <laughs> well it was actually um so I collapsed at work I was so detached I think from any kind of wellness or I had no concept that we have limits and you actually have to look after yourself. I was such an A-type. Like my whole identity was wrapped up in productivity and achievement that it took a really, well, firstly, it took a complete breakdown for me to even realise I had to stop. But it took the next couple of months of really having to learn about what foods you eat, what, you know, the effect of stimulants like caffeine and alcohol. I just never thought of that because I never had to before. I just thrashed my body and it would kind of still you know, bounce back the next day. And I sort of came to matcha not so much as for the gut problem. I had a course of antibiotics. I had full um, elimination diets to really go gently on my system until it could cope with things again. Matcha was more just for the caffeine. Uh, And coffee, I was so, I was maybe 42 kilos at the time. And I'm like, 170 centimeters tall. So really, really thin. So I'd have a sip of coffee and I'd start shaking. Matcha has a unique uh, amino acid in it called L-theanine, which makes it slow release into your bloodstream. So you get the energy, but rather than a crash, like you get with coffee, it kind of lasts over three to four hours in a a really alert state, but not that buzzy kind of jittery feeling. So I came to it more for that, that I you know, was missing the experience of a hot drink and uh, something that would help me get through the working day when I was still quite exhausted and and adrenally compromised. Um, And it was interesting. I discovered it in Hong Kong where in Asia, it's not a buzzword. It's not a new thing. It's been around for centuries. The Zen Buddhist monks have been using it for many, many years in their long meditations. And it's the same as normal green tea. It's, 
much more known for its immunity and its antioxidants, but matcha has 137 times the antioxidants of normal green tea. Wow. So wow. I, it's incredible. And I sort of came to it for one reason and then discovered actually there are so many benefits to it. And when, was really surprised then when, I mean, gut, it is good for your gut. So that was something that I later discovered and much better for you than, than caffeine. Uh, but also the immunity, the hair, skin and nails, the, the antioxidant that help uh, prevent free radical damage to your skin and to your organs. And uh, it wasn't until I came back that I noticed, well, what? This has been around for centuries. It's so beneficial. Everyone at home is drinking kale smoothies that take, taste disgusting and spirulina that tastes like foot. Like why is no one drinking matcha? And uh, over the next, yeah, I think it was maybe only a month of realizing that and then realizing, well, we can't get it. So we should order some. It arrived. It was too much for us. Two million serves, too much wow. for two people to consume. But the, like, we just had no idea. Uh, yeah, the idea came to really leverage the fact that everyone wanted that kind of product. They all wanted really efficient, densely nutritious, easy to consume things that are good for you and natural, but no one had made this particular product really easy to buy. And uh, yeah, it turned out what we thought would maybe be sold to like a few family members, maybe some friends, <laughs> ended up selling out in a week because wow. people had heard of the benefits. They did understand what green tea is good for. And this was just green tea on steroids because it's just the leaves ground into a powder. So instead of throwing them out in the tea bag, you actually just grind them and you swallow the whole leaf. So it's exactly the same as green tea, but just stronger, way less foreign than any of the other powders you might see around. And it just took off. And I think that's why it's so versatile is because you can you know you do people do gravitate it towards it for different reasons for me it was energy for some people it is gut for other people it is antioxidants you know for some people it's just they like the taste so it's kind of got a bit of everything and you're right you know it's funny isn't it because we do drink green tea but to, to imagine that you can get 137 times the power just by drinking matcha well why wouldn't you? You know, I've I just been looking at your website. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get one of the um triple packs. Do you know of the, <laughs> the matcha powder, the immune and the light your fire, or you know, fire in your belly or something? I think it was called a uh, light your fire, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, light my fire. <laughs> yeah, light my fire. So yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get that, and yeah, really enjoy it. It's um, yeah, yeah I think you forget. You know, we're we're terrible human beings. At um, we say, oh, I really need to change something. I really need to. Um, feel a bit better or you know I'm having gut issues or I'm having headaches or I've got foggy brain and all you know all those things that we get and uh, my age menopause doesn't help I can tell you that all, the, all those things are 10 times worse but <laughs> we, we complain about things but then we don't actually do it you know we, we, and then we, we so for example this you know and I'm saying well, I'm going to get some of this because I just thought I just thought it was nice and I knew it had some health health benefits but when now you're saying this 137 times you know I'd already decided to get that three pack but now you've convinced me but the point is we we often go oh I've heard about matcha and then we'll look on the on a website and we'll go oh yeah I must must do that someday do you, you know and we're, we're shocking at actually taking action and and mm. and then when we do when finally do we're like why the hell didn't I do this five years ago when I first looked at it. So I hope I hope people listen to this and go get some and just give it a try at least, you know. And when you talk about the taste, I love green tea. I love green tea, but 
in where were we in Hawaii and I tried to match a um, ice cream and it, it didn't sell me. <laughs> <laughs> these green ice creams you know and, and I thought oh it was sort of like a, a um what do you call that like a food court but it was very Asian you know in, in down in this food court and everyone was eating them and and then there's a lot of Japanese people visit visit Hawaii mm. and uh and I thought wow and I had this image in my head it's going to taste like lime you know this lime green <laughs> I had a lick and it was <laughs> I think if you come into it expecting a certain taste, it's quite jarring. But yeah. if you know that, if you know what to expect, it's really nice. But yeah. if you're like expecting some kind of lime, like beautiful, <laughs> sweet fruit, citrus flavor, you'd get a real shock. <laughs> yeah, I got a real shock. <laughs> but, um, and I'm like, well, everyone's eating these. They must be good for you. And we're, we're both sharing it. And I'm thinking, I don't know. It's, it's a quiet taste, but. Uh, it's not quite my thing. Yeah. <laughs> they all look like they were enjoying this lime green ice cream. But anyway, but, you know, the, the point is, I mean, well, what's so good about this is it can be made into anything. That, that's the versatility of it, you know, that you can mm. put. And, and so, so, and I see on your website too, you've got tons of recipes, you know, all these recipes that you can um, put it into. And, and I just think it's wonderful. I think it's, so is it just, just an online store or do you have, uh, we'll talk about your cafe in a minute, but your little, mm. your milk bar, but is just the matcha maiden, is that just online? And yeah. Yeah. So it started because we didn't really start with a plan to expand or anything. We genuinely, it, I could barely even say it was a side hustle. Like we honestly didn't expect that it would have customers yeah. to need. It was just like a one-time, let's just get rid of some of this and recoup some of our money. <laughs> so it, it, it did start as a purely online store and then it started to pick up so quickly, far beyond what we'd ever expected. And it was a combination of Nick already having all those skills to brand something beautifully and build a website and, and, you know, build a brand story, but also timing. Like we were also incredibly lucky. It wasn't only luck, but that was a big part of it that the world was ripe for the new next new thing. And people like the Kardashians had talked about it, but no one could buy it. So we just slid into this gap somehow at the perfect time before anyone else had done it. And that meant that online really exploded but there are a lot of people in the market who like to go into a store and touch and feel or who only do their health food shopping in a boutique health food store maybe post covid i think it's quite a, people are more open to online shopping but a lot of the market was still shopping in store so very quickly we realized for exposure not i mean the margins are completely different but for exposure it would be great to start getting into some physical stores as well so that we could direct people you know to go and taste it even to start to get into cafes so that you could try it without buying a whole bag and so once we realized we were on to something we were very reactive for the first sort of 6 months while we both still were working our normal jobs and trying to fit this in but once i went full time which was about 6 months in and we realized it it was actually going to survive if we put some proper you know invested time into it that's when i started to look at okay who are the distributors who can get us into those stores what are the kind of stores where do we want to sit on the shelf um and that and now we probably are in it's over a thousand stores around the world mostly in Australia, quite a few in the US. 
uh, and then randomly spotted through like in a cafe in Romania, like there are all these random places that have been on board since the start, which is so, so lovely. Um, but again, like we were so bewildered that anyone was even interested in it. And so now what I love to tell people is, you know, if you think if you're sitting on a good idea, just because no one has thought of it yet doesn't mean it's not a good idea. And someone else out there is looking for exactly what you have. Yep. So always just put it out there and see what happens because of course there's a chance it won't go well, but if there's a chance it won't go well, there has to be also a chance on the other side that it does go well. Just give it a go. What do you got to lose? Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and I should just be, I want to talk about the milk bar, but before I do, I, I do want to come back and on my comment about the ice cream. I didn't enjoy the ice cream, but I do want to say that I do like match it. <laughs> <laughs> Because I had it in um, Singapore because I didn't want to leave people thinking, oh, God, what is this? <laughs> because um, I had it in, in, a, in a Japanese restaurant in, in Singapore and with, with my dinner, you know, as an after dinner. Um, yeah. And it was, it was the perfect, it was just perfect, you know, just that, you, you know, like when you have Chinese and you have the green tea afterwards, it was the, oh. the, the matcha tea afterwards and it was beautiful. And just it's like a palate cleanser at is. the end of a meal. Yeah, really was just beautiful. So, so if anyone had the wrong idea, t- I don't don't listen to my ice cream story. Listen, <laughs> listen to my Japanese um, restaurant story. It was absolutely beautiful. So, if you want, if you wanted to go in and taste it, because people do, people really do um, want to sort of sit there and have the enjoyment of it. You've got the matcha milk bar, which is mm. a physical location. So, tell us about that and why you why did you think that might be a good idea yeah so interestingly even though for my whole career as a lawyer my job was find the risks and avoid them at all costs (laughs) so I was a very planned certainty loving predictable I love stability I had no risk appetite like I needed everything to be perfect to the full stop because that's what I trained to do for a decade as soon as the business world opened my eyes to the beauty of spontaneity and just seeing, you know, it took a lot of unlearning and it was very fortunate for me that I had my husband who then became my business partner who only thought at the other end of the spectrum. So that was a really good influence to be around. Once I got a taste of what can happen when you just let your creativity go wild, it doesn't suit everyone, but I have that, I've always as as a child had that in me to just create stuff and see what happens. So once I let it out of the cage, I was like, oh, well, what about we just roll with every good idea that we have ever? Like, but like all the risk, let's just do whatever. Like who cares? What's, what could possibly go wrong? Like I got a bit too excited in the other direction. And we ended up, I think it was probably, yeah, probably a year after we started Matcha Maiden, we were in the States because we'd locked in a big contract with Urban Outfitters. We went over to visit them and meet them. But we also thought, you know, this is a good place to look at what the new trends are, like what's happening in the health food scene because it usually emerges in the coastal, like LA, New York first. And we happened to be over there at the same time as our now business partner, who was a really good friend who also did law. He went, we went to uni together. He went straight into hospitality and became really, really successful with his brother. So he was looking at food trends and we were looking at drink trends. So we thought, well, if we're here together, let's just do a a sort of foodie cafe tour of, of LA. And we noticed that two big trends were emerging. The main two were um, plant-based eating 
and matcha drinking. And the two things that we figured from a lot of, you know, we did a lot of research on why these two were, neither of them were new. They're all like been around for a long time. Why are they resurging now? And the big thing was the blue stones research. There are five areas of the world, tiny geographical areas where people live dramatically longer than anywhere else. Like I'm talking a suburb size. And it doesn't really necessarily make sense why one suburb lives to 100 and the next suburb lives, you know, the average age is 20 years younger. But so there've been all these studies on why they live longer. And one of the main factors is they have a majority plant-based diet, not because of ethical vegan reasons, but just what is available to them. And the blue zone with the most 100-year-olds in the world is Okinawa in Japan, and they drink matcha. So we thought rather than what exists back home, which is a lot of plant-based venues that are quite, I don't mean to sound, you know, quite preachy, like very aggressive in their messaging, very all or nothing, which can be quite intimidating to the average kind of foodie. We were like, what if we created something that was longevity based, that was based on this whole idea of living longer, which is why there's a beauty industry. Like we all love this idea of longevity. It also works out to tie in with longevity for the planet. No one's positioned it this way. What if we make a cafe? It's vegan. We don't ever tell anyone. Like we don't use that word. And then just people come in, they eat great food. They drink great matcha. They walk out. They live longer. The planet lives longer. What an amazing idea. And a month later, we opened. And again, we just did a lot of the demo ourselves, painted, like everyone got on the tools. Again, I think, you know, sometimes when you overthink an idea, you overplan. And then when you overplan, it gets so overwhelming, you don't start. We just started and we're like, let's just do it as a pop-up. We only need to paint it enough to launch for a week or a month and then see. And then once a month passed, we're like, oh, we're still here. (laughs) And then we kept going rather than spending a million dollars on a fit out. You just go bit by bit. Mm. And again, like, starting with very low expectations sometimes allows you to actually start and then everything is a bonus. So as it started to get bigger and then the Hemsworths got on board and they loved it because they were trying to eat more plant-based and it just exploded from this random idea that we never thought anything of. I think we both put in maybe 15 grand each compared to some of the other venues in Melbourne that are million dollar um, fit outs. We just knocked it up and it's still there (laughs) five years later. (laughs) Five years. Oh, wow. So whereabouts in Melbourne is it? St Kilda by the beach. Okay. And and so it it does cold drinks, hot drinks, food, like like plant-based burgers. Is it that kind of a place or is it like sit down, like meal, you know, so burgery kind of meals? It's kind of, it's kind of like a, cafe so it's more breakfast lunch um the breakfast menu we developed we were like what are the big gaps to plant-based eating at breakfast time and the main thing is eggs like if you can't have eggs and bacon like that's most people's favorite breakfast so we set out to get our uh, chefs to create a vegan egg that has the same amount of protein as a normal egg that has right like a a poached like there's a yolk that kind of you know oozes out (laughs) We made bacon and everything is made to, you know, a lot of vegan places just use cashews or they just use the same things that end up like they might taste similar, but they're not actually very good for you. So we were like, we, it needs to be nutritious as well. But also we wanted it to be rainbow. We wanted it to be crazy and lots of fun. So we made, you know, nine superfood lattes that make a rainbow. Like there's a full rainbow of different colored drinks. Some have caffeine, some don't. 
we just got really adventurous with like what's going to be super fun, really different, but also that you leave feeling full because that's another big barrier to people eating vegan is girls will bring their boyfriends in who are looking for like a burger and they leave and they feel like they've eaten lettuce, whereas <laughs> our chicken burger is like three of our friends actually for ages were like, why do you have chicken in a vegan restaurant? They thought it was chicken. <laughs> Our chefs are amazing. And it was such a fun challenge to figure out the gaps that existed and how we could fill them and how we could use food science to kind of, you know, create something that hadn't really been done before. And it's, yeah, so much fun. There are burgers when KFC opened next door, oh. we decided we needed to make, you know, fried chicken buckets that are vegan that taste like chicken. So we've developed like this whole fried chicken menu that uses jackfruit. It pulls apart like chicken. It's so yummy. Yeah. And yeah, it's just so much fun. Wow. Yeah, jackfruit is amazing, isn't it? You know, I had it, um, I think it was, yeah, it was chicken. It was as as chicken and it was just, it was incredible. You know, it actually tasted like it. And I think that, you know, sometimes um you know people say oh have you vegan why are you why are you eat why do you want to eat something that tastes like chicken but nobody <laughs> not many people are really debating that it tastes good do you like it yeah that's not the issue here you know you, it's kind of like either i want to save the animals or i want to save the planet you know it's not about the taste like we all know we walk into you know safeway and they're cooking the chickens even you know us vegans are kind of like well that does smell good there's, there's, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it does and that's um I just love I just love what you're doing and you know I'm I'm right up in East Gippsland I you know I don't get to Melbourne much but you know it just sort of attempts me to drive three hours you know, <laughs> next time I wait till I've got something on down there but, um, yeah <laughs> it sounds fantastic like I just love it I, I really love your attitude like you know don't don't wait don't plan it all just just get started because you know I'm often telling people that just start even if you don't have a plan, just have a direction, just have a direction mm. and put one foot down. And there's, there's, I think we've been really hammered with the whole, if you're going to do a business or something, you have to do a business plan and you have to go to a lawyer and you have to oh. have an accountant and you have to, you know, you have to do your market. You've got to have it all marketed and you have to have your logo set up and don't even dare launch it without all that stuff. And I think that, that you're right. That, that, send you into a state of overwhelm that you you won't mm. even get started I just love how you've just thrown yourself into it and look how successful it's been look how you, you know like you you're the epitome of jump in live in the moment <laughs> seize the yay you know <laughs> and, and um I just absolutely love it. So, guys, get onto the matcha. Honestly, you know, it is good for you. And, and don't be like me and say, yeah, one day I will, and then don't do it. Just be like Sarah and, <laughs> and jump in and get the bloody stuff. That's fantastic. And then all of this, I love that you say that you're, um, you know, a fun-trepreneur, like lawyer, <laughs> lawyer turned fun-trepreneur, you know. So it, it really is an extreme, isn't it, from, from the whole risk and and mm. not game to move and you know in case there's a legal ramification here to this whole screw it I'm just gonna live every day and laugh and have fun and be kind to the planet and you know and enjoy enjoy myself and let other people enjoy themselves and what difference have you found in yourself going from one extreme to the other it's a great question I think uh, one of the things that I am now just so at pains to emphasize to other people is that 
we get very siloed in who we think we are. And of course it's, I mean, the next most important thing is to be incredibly self-aware and know what suits you and what doesn't. But there was a time where I genuinely thought like, this is me. This is who I am. I am very risk averse. I don't like getting out of my comfort zone. I'm not super creative. And because I had that narrative, because I had only done things that encouraged those traits, which are there somewhere, Mm. I could have closed off an entire world to myself by being like, oh, but that's who I am. Mm. I've learned obviously very quickly that you can actually unlearn anything that's not really that useful to the life that you want to live. At any one time, there's now research, like it you know, might have once sounded pretty woo-woo, but now there's research on neuroplasticity. You can actually change the shape of your brain. Yeah. If you want to manifest different traits and you want to increase increase your appetite risk and do scarier things and overcome self-doubt and anxiety, like you can absolutely do that. There is not, why not? Like you will obviously always, we will all have things we prefer more and things we prefer less, but I have, I, almost, I barely recognize the person that I was before. And that, I mean, that is, part of who I am it's in there but by choosing to nurture the side that has always been more dominant I think if you look back to when you were a child before you knew what being embarrassed was before you cared about failure before you knew what success meant before you let all those externally imposed things start to get in your way most of the time when you look back when you were a kid like that's who you really are but you know without all the filters and as adults we start to layer on the filters and then we're like who even am I like I got to a point where you'd ask me what I was passionate about didn't even know I genuinely couldn't even answer you so I think the process of finding who you are and what makes you really joyful is quite overwhelming it should be really straightforward but I had to research myself like a guinea pig I was like hmm I noticed today I was happy what was I doing Like I had to reverse engineer and figure out what made me happy. And it's been a lot of dipping my toe in new things and making notes of like what I like, what I don't like. But I think like it's really your joy is a jigsaw puzzle. Every experience you do, you're getting new pieces and you're allowed to get rid of the pieces that don't suit you anymore. And I think why people miss out is they don't allow themselves that process. They don't allow themselves to consider maybe this isn't because if you've ticked, certain boxes if you're stable you've got a good job you've got stability you kind of either are too grateful almost or you just get comfortable Mm. but I think now that I've seen what what a, a whole new world opens up when you really pursue the things that you're good at and that you love in the intersection of what you're good at and what you love is the magic yeah but you have to put a bit of effort in to get there. But once you do, it just, it's so exciting. Life is so exciting. And you realize that a lot of the reason why you don't do things isn't because you're not good at it, isn't because you're not suited to it. It's because of negative self-talk. It's because of self-doubt. It's because of fear. It's because of all the wrong reasons. They're natural things to feel, but they shouldn't lead you to go to totally, you know, cancel out, a pathway just because it seems like it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like also baby steps, take baby steps towards, you know, getting closer to your joy, because I think on the flip side, you know, some people think I'm going to leave my job tomorrow because I'm not satisfied by it. Well, that's probably not going to make you very joyful because you'll be broke and you won't have any, you know, platform to do anything. So it's okay 
be for it to take a little while, but just experiment and explore who you are. And even if, you know, I, I also think we lament wastes, waste of time a lot. Like people are always like, do you regret spending 10 years as a lawyer and studying and blah, 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 what a waste. And I'm like, actually, nothing is a waste. If you learn something from it, which you, you learn from everything, even if you only learn what you don't like, that's also a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So nothing's a waste, really. Mm. No, I love I love all that, and I think that you're right. We don't um we don't let go of what we don't like. You know, you, we're we're real buggers at hanging on to that stuff. Do you, you mm. know? It's like, well, I've realised I don't like this about my life, but I'm not going to let it go. Like particularly particularly toxic people. Like we've got, you know, the um, the negative narratives, we're bad enough that we tell ourselves negative narratives. Then we believe that everyone else is saying that same narrative about us. But then you've also got this next level of toxic people who are, oh. are completely keeping us down in a box because it doesn't suit them for us to flourish. Do you, you know, it's, it, it, it somehow impacts them or they think it's going to. And then we mm. allow ourselves to sort of uh, live by the expectations of others. And I think if, if we could get this... Uh, system happening and even just small questions like you say chip away at it bit by bit is that serving me you know or is is that how do I feel when that person say, says that I feel like shit you know well can I <laughs> can I let that person go do you, you know and and I think we've got to get better at, at we don't have to be mean to the person and say listen you're not serving me um <laughs> you mm. know we don't really but but just move away move away from the things that really make us unhappy and we we can Absolutely. all we can all name things that make us unhappy, things or people, and we need to be a bit more conscious of that. And I love I love what you're saying. And so you've um, then gone and started the podcast. Seize your yay, seize the <laughs> seize the yay because. Um, and I need to read this because I don't want to get it wrong. Investigating the difference between success and happiness, and you've touched on tons of points in there. You know about what is success and what is happiness, and. Since starting the podcast, like what what what's an emerging theme that you know about the difference between success and happiness? That's a great question. Uh, well, I think the overall emerging theme is that they're not the same thing. They're really closely related, and of course, they impact on each other. But if you only attach your happiness to the level of success that you have, mm. you'll never be satisfied. Yeah. And I think almost everyone who's ever come on the show who outwardly appears incredibly successful, most of them have had a moment of all those metrics starting to tumble down around them because it just doesn't bring them happiness and there's always more and have had some kind of breakdown or aha moment and realised actually, like, that's great. That provides success, provides choices and freedom to indulge my happiness but it has to be attached to other things because otherwise you get in this cycle of like I'll be happy when when I get that next raise or promotion or when I hit those you know those boxes are ticked but you'll always find new boxes to tick so I think it really has emerged as a very internal thing that has to be about where you are right now it can't always be what's next and what else can I get and uh, that's any you know if it's ever been more obvious to me it's when I came back from Africa being filled with just spontaneous joy I didn't wear shoes we didn't have floors we didn't have running water for a month and I was so joyful in each moment and came home to incredibly privileged well-off people who were just depressed yep. 
like stressed about the things that they had created for them to be stressed about, you know? So that was, that's one big emerging theme. And the other one has been, which I too think was a big theme of me even starting the podcast is that what is happy and joyful for you at one stage in your life it's going to look different through every chapter of your life. And so even though you might reach a point, like when I, you know, Matcha was going really well, I kind of thought I've stepped out of my comfort zone. I've dropped all these old unhelpful thinking habits, pat myself on the back, like, oh my God, I'm done for life. Like I've found my joy and that's it. And so when I started around the third or fourth year mark to feel a bit agitating, like something was missing, I was like, how ungrateful are you? Like, <laughs> what is this? You know, you've got it made. Like, this is your forever. And I realized, no, that was for a chapter. That's what I needed to get out of corporate. That's what I needed to teach me so much about my creativity and people and relationships and strengths and community building. But in this next chapter that was starting to unravel, I was like, oh, I'm missing. What am I missing? What jigsaw puzzle pieces have I started to miss? And I realized what I was missing was the behind the scenes stuff. I wanted to talk about, you know, why you didn't get your order today because I was in the fetal position with my period and I didn't, you know, have a good day. (laughs) Like I was crying. Like you can't put that on your business page. (laughs) But I didn't have anywhere to have those conversations or like I'm in a ball, you know, about self-doubt today. And I just felt like you couldn't have, I didn't have a platform for that stuff. Mm. And I didn't have a platform for my like woo-woo female energy because all my business partners were men, which was awesome. But I started to push up against like, oh, there's some, you know, there's some element of yay that was just, just yeah. wasn't there. And I actually struggled against it for, I reckon, another year mm. because I felt so bad. Like, am I being ungrateful? Am I being a, a millennial that has a short attention span? Am I just <laughs> bored because it got hard? Mm. But I realized it's actually okay for you to evolve through lots of different chapters mm and tweak and change along the way. In fact, that's the point. You're never going to arrive at the perfect recipe for your life and go, I'm just going to sit here for the rest of my life forever. Like if you're not changing something every few years, then you're not growing because that must mean you're the exact same person you were three years ago. So yay is not static. I had a guy on the podcast yesterday who's in his 50s and just in the last year has had his biggest chapter of his life so far only started last year. So it's, it's never, you've never reached the peak and it's over, you know, there's always something new to learn and to discover. And it could be, it's never too late either. It could be at any time of your life. No, I love that. Love that you're saying that um, it's, if you, if you're happy, this is where I am and this is where I've landed and this is where I am for the rest of my life. You're not, you're not growing. And it's just, um, you know, a lot of people talk about purpose and I always say, you know, they say, my purpose is to be a photographer, I think, or or, I'm not sure my purpose is to be a teacher. And, and I, I always say that their activities that fill your purpose, you know, like your purpose is your why. It's kind of like, why am I doing this? What, what's life about? And, you know, what's, what, what do you get up every day? What, like, and that stays, you know, sort of constant. But how you get there, you might be a photographer for a year, you might be a teacher for a year. Actually, all that stuff doesn't matter as long as you're going, as long as you're f- feeling fulfilled and you know why you're getting up every day. And I absolutely love it. And when you talk about um, how old you are, well, you know, there was a guy uh, I saw he wrote his first book when he was 81. And I remember reading that and thinking, I love that so much. 
And you're just talking about uh, someone in their fifties. I didn't start. I didn't start doing all the great work that I do until I was fifty. I wrote my first book when I was fifty, and uh, it's, what a milestone! You know, it took me half a century to bloody figure out what I wanted to do, <laughs> and I still don't know what I want to do. But <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of conflict like that. I think you know, there's a lot of talk. You know, be the go-to person, be the go-to person for this, and be the go-to for, person for that. And I find that very restrictive. You know, and I am a mm. I, you know, I've, I've struggled with this for years too. I, I'm a jack of all trades. You know, you said before that um, you have all different, what do I do? I'm really good at this and I'm really good at that. And, you know, I keep trying to put myself back in this box of being a master and, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so uncomfortable in there. You know, it's just mm. not, it's not me. You know, it's, and, and why I'm so good at get off the bench is being, because I'm a jack of all trades, I can understand everybody's project within seconds. Do, do you know, it's like, oh, okay, I'll get this, you know, and, and if I didn't have that jack of all trades mentality, I never would be able to help as many people. And sometimes I think we, we've got a, a bit of a negative attitude about that. Now, I'm, I'm only starting to embrace it now. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's good. But anyway, go. so you're, you're I, I love I love chatting. I love getting diverted into all these other things. <laughs> it's so fantastic. No, because these conversations really fuel you, you know, it, and makes you grow, makes you think and listen to other people's opinions. I think it's fa- it's fantastic. And But now sees your yay podcast has now become seize your yay book as well. <laughs> and so it's just it's ever evolving you know and, and what are we doing next a documentary or we'll talk about that <laughs> <laughs> you know the book so so what what was it that made you say right you know this this has to be out there in a book well, I'm gonna do it what was that yeah, again, it was one of those totally unplanned yeah. random opportunities that because I didn't actually have a plan for Seize the A, it was really started as almost the side project to the matcha mission kind of thing to give me this sort of outlet for all the things I wasn't getting in the, you know, that job. Uh, and then it became like, you know, it took on a life of its own. I sort of made a promise to myself that one thing I'd done is I'd left corporate to create more freedom and creativity and joy. And then I just corporatized matcha. Like I did the same thing that I, I replicated all the things that I tried to walk away from. And I really wanted to learn from that and not do that again, not bring all those habits with me and then burn out over and over. I, what's the point? I might as well go back to corporate. So when CCA started to kind of gain traction, I made a commitment that I wouldn't give it a five-year plan. I would just see where it went, where it took me, what was feeling good. And, you know, if one week it didn't feel good to do an episode, I wouldn't do an episode. You know, it had no commercial element at the start. So I just kind of rolled with it. And that allowed, I think sometimes when you plan too hard, you preclude better plans arriving because you're too rigidly focused on where it's going to go. But because I had no plans, it grew to the point where a publisher sort of thought, well, maybe this could be translated into a book. Maybe all the lessons I'd done a hundred episodes by then, I think. So maybe you could collate the experience and, and big learnings into something that could be kept forever. Whereas, you know, audio kind of doesn't, you can't hand audio to someone the same way you can a book. And I'd always wanted to write a book. I loved writing my thesis in law, like it was writing was probably the part of law I liked the most. I always did creative writing. I used to write random like fiction stories when I was a kid. 
So I'd had it in my body, but this also comes back to timing, that if I'd tried to write a book any minute before the CCA book happened, I wouldn't have wouldn't have been good because I wouldn't have known what to write. I wasn't ready. Like timing is everything. Yeah. Sometimes you think you want something so badly, but it's actually not the right time, yeah. which is often the universe intervenes and is like, no, no, not yet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and if I tried to write it about the mattress story before CZA had crystallized to me as my philosophy, like it just would have not had half the stuff in it that it does. So what by the time it came about, it was perfect timing. It had been a year. Uh, we just got married and they wanted it to come out when it did, so last year. Mm. So they were like, well, if you want to make that cutoff, you have seven weeks. Like you have to get <laughs> you have, If you've got a book in your body, let it out now, otherwise it'll be the year later. <laughs> and because it was the right time, I kind of already knew. I was like, I know what the chapters are going to be. I know what I'm going to say. I know what the big learnings have been. There are 12. These are what they are. It all just came out. And funnily enough, it. I wrote it. Two things happened that I'm really happy about. I wrote it as if no one was ever going to read it, which means you write more honestly, uh, which is weird and awful but amazing at the same time. And I also wrote it not knowing that COVID would be in full swing by the time it came out. But it turned out that so many of the lessons about uncertainty and breaking the autopilot circuit and embracing discomfort and tragedy as um, opportunity to change you know all those things turned out to be more relevant than they ever could have been but if I'd written them for COVID I kind of think it would have been that would have just obscured the whole thing because I, the whole book would have been about oh pandemic but it all just worked out in this divine timing that it came out first of September last year in stage four which was a little bit random to not see it on shelves and no one could buy books and it was kind of a weird time but it was also at a time where I think more people were reading and more people were taking a bit of a moment to reflect on joy and what makes them yay and maybe even taking more time to connect with people online than they had before so bothering to write a message when they had a big revelation from a book and that was just Mm. it's still when it happens just I sort of don't even care. I've only had one report about the sales figures. I've never asked for another one because I just don't really care. Like the messages I've got already are like, that's, it's done more than I ever hoped it could. Um, And and what, and you saw like how excited I was in Gibson was the first time I'd seen strangers holding it. I was like, wait, my mum didn't print these at Officeworks. Like (laughs) this is a real book. What do you mean? And people brought the copies that they had already owned to get signed. I was like, you bought this? <laughs> Why? <laughs> but it was so deli- like it was four months delayed, but it, that felt like the day it really became a real thing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I love that you're just not measuring metrics, you know, like my, my podcast, I've got no bloody clue. I've got no clue what the downloads are and I never look yet because I don't care. My book, yeah. I've got no clue. I get reports every every three months or something from 
from from all over the world you know they come in and and I don't look I just like yeah print them off and put them in a thing and I <laughs> I've got no clue no clue how many have sold but I think that that takes away the pressure that takes away the it's it's, it's just there and that's what it is uh, well, I tell you what, I, I have loved this. I have loved this interview. You, you're just a you're a shining light, and you're so bloody positive. And I love the way you're just kind of you know reinforcing that message. Just stop, stop, and stop, and enjoy the yay. Just enjoy mm. it, you know, and and stop trying to force our lives into a box that we we might not even fit in. And and your message about timing too. I think a lot of us could um, really really take that on board because. I reckon most of us force things, you know, to happen. And and I love I love your timing message. Love it. Now this podcast is about get off the bench, and you've done it, you know, in a number of ways. I mean, let's say prior, many prior to Matcha Maiden, but then you've you've done the four big things, you know, just in the last last few years. And I just love that you're you know taking that leap and just just trusting everything but what what advice would you give to someone i'm going to go back to corporate who's stuck in corporate who thinks i've got a great idea and i'm just not game to leave the security of this space but mm. i but i love that other thing so much oh Sorry. okay <laughs> the big it's such a good question so the biggest thing that i think is I only have started to reflect on this in the last year, I think. I was very gung-ho, like, leave your job, CCA, like, take a risk, blah, 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 YOLO. I probably would temper that a little bit now and say the balance between your job and your passion is going to look different for everyone. For me, it was going full-time. For some people, that actually kills the joy of the side hustle. For some people, it takes up so much stress then or it's not the novelty of it goes away or the pressure increases in a way that it actually ruins it for them. So first, the first above all, I would say, think very carefully about whether you are just following this, I think I have to leave my job for my passion because other people have done that. Or if you actually think that that's something that you want to do, because there are people who they don't need to love their job. They just need to go there. So it gives them money to have a stable life and do their hobbies and passions outside of work. And that's a beautiful balance if that's what suits you. So above all, think very carefully about what suits you and try and block out too much white noise about what's worked for other people. If you have decided that you really want to pursue it and you do think it's a really good idea, but it's just fear that's holding you back, another two things I would say. First is you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. So if you don't have an absolute 100% guarantee about what it's going to be doing in five years, you never will anyway. Business doesn't work like that. (laughs) So don't worry about that. All you have to do is take those very first steps. And like I kind of, you know, in the matcher example, our big goal is what does it take to sell one bag? If I thought about a hundred bags, I'd stress out so much I'd stop and I would never actually have done it. One bag is not intimidating. It gives you a very clear to-do list and an immediate one because all you need to think about is the immediate next steps. The 11th step is irrelevant if you haven't done step one. So don't even waste energy and brain space on it. So think about your minimum viable product and what do you need for that? And the rest starts to unravel. If you get paralyzed of like overwhelm, just start there. And if you can make one bag, you can make 10. If you make it, you can make 10, you can probably make 20. Like don't overthink it and over plan. Just take the first step and the rest of the staircase will worry about itself later. Yeah. 
And the second thing is, if you're worried about it failing, what is the worst that can happen? And I think we catastrophize that situation a lot, again, which leads us to not do things that could work out really well. Usually the worst thing that can happen if you actually let yourself think about what that is, is not that bad. You won't end up destitute and homeless. You won't be like relegated to the bottom of society where everyone laughs at you. Like it just is nowhere near as bad as you think it's going to be. So just say it doesn't work. Like I actually think we're more scared of looking like a failure than we are of actual failure. If I, if you told me I could fail and no one would know, I'd be like, oh, I don't care then. It's more like looking silly. Yeah. If you get over that and realize if that's the worst that can happen is that I look silly for five minutes, but everyone's actually too busy with their own shit to like even notice. It's even if it fails, it's still not bad. So just try it, try it with, you know, the minimize the risk as much as you can stay as your job as long as you can to save money to put towards it and like ease into it. And if it doesn't work, you can go back or you can tweak it and try again. Like, most of us aren't having ideas that involve a million dollars investing into an app for the first time. Like start smaller, you'll be fine and be gentle with yourself, yeah. you know, like yeah. be okay with two steps forward, one step back or one step forward, two steps back because the beauty of the process is that you don't know what you're doing. I still don't. You probably still don't, but we kind of, you start to enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, we do enjoy it. Sometimes it's a bit hard, but no, I love all that. And I just think, and I think that the, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good point to remember that you can go back. You, you know, like you can always go back to the job you had. You said, go back to the drawing board, you, you know, and it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But, and we're all going to fail. Let, let's, I think that we need to get comfortable with that. Like we are all going to fail at something, mm. at, some, you know, at points in our life. And who cares? And I, I think it is a worry what other people are going to say. But, and, and you're right, exactly what you said. Until the next big thing comes along. You know, and in my book, I say that'll be, you know, that that's could be two weeks. <laughs> I don't think that actually, no, that might have been a conversation. Now I'm confusing my book with real life. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, like seriously, people are talking about your cafe. They go, oh, did you hear what Mary did? And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's a bad. What are you having for dinner? Like, it's, seriously, we're on to the next thing in, in, in two It's seconds. gone. Yeah, so I wouldn't even worry about it. Anyway, I have loved this. This has just been a pleasure. Me too. Breath of fresh air. Thank you so much. Now, where can people find you? Oh, well, I live on the internet, so <laughs> anywhere on the internet. <laughs> Spoonful of Sarah is the main spot on Instagram because everything else, the podcast, the book, the cafes, that's all linked to, the, to there, so that's probably the easiest. Yeah. And there's a, you've got website, Facebook, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll post all that in the show notes. And But if people just go to Instagram, Spoonful of Sarah, and go from there and get yourself some matcha and, <laughs> and get your gut back into good health because and everything else. And this, I love the sound of the slow-release caffeine and, you know, that it just doesn't give you that headachey buzz, you know, that it's, um, I, I, I love that. And I, I just love everything you're doing. I just love your vibrance. See, I just love you're bringing a really, really beautiful, warm heart and, you know, love into the world and uh, with a bit of fun. And I just think that's beautiful, really beautiful. Oh, you, Karen, everything you do is absolutely amazing. It's been a privilege. Oh, thank you so much. All right, <laughs> you better go and um, make sure that, that, that when the car left the driveway today, he didn't leave things in the driveway, throwing them out. Oh, my God, shipping him off to Tasmania. I'm like, it's girl time. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh. Have an amazing weekend. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh, guys, how was that? That was, I, I got such a buzz out of that, you know, and how fantastic what Sarah was saying, just, just having a go at something and not, not actually knowing where it's going to go, just have a crack at it and look at all the success that's come. And speaking of success, I love that she's uh, talking about, you know, with the podcast Seize the Yay, uh, talking about the difference between happiness and success. And I think that we do really um, equate happiness to when I'm successful, I will be happy. And as Sarah said, you know, we, we spend a lot of time waiting for that thing to come that's going to make us successful or happy. And, and in actual fact, we've got it right around us right now, right here and now. And if we just sort of back ourselves and start doing more of what brings us joy, you know, I reckon that's that's where we can really win. So anyway, hope you've enjoyed that. Don't forget to follow Sarah on Instagram at Spoonful of Sarah. And as she said, everything else is from there. But the website is spoonfulofsarah.com. And there's also matchamaiden.com. But I'm going to put them in the show notes and hope you've enjoyed it. So again, thanks very much for joining me. And I look forward to you listening again next week. So have a great week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.